July 17, 1989, Disney opened what would become one of their most controversial rides with large fanfare. An instant classic at the time, it wasn't until years later that the full story would be told. Where did the characters come from? Who did the attraction first? And what dark Disney secrets can be tied to this log flume attraction? This week on Slice of Disney, Splash Mountain Part 2. Welcome to Slice of Disney, an awesome Disney theme park podcast. I am your host, Kelly Washington, Disney-obsessed enthusiast and real-life Tinkerbell. And I am your co-host, Will Lentz, rare Disney-goer. No, no, former Disney-goer. No. I've been thinking about how I should change that since it's been a while. Um, <laughs> and real-life person that's kind of uncomfortable about what we're about to talk about. <laughs> That's very fair. Yeah. <laughs> we'll get you back to the parks. Um, we, they have to work on their annual pass situation. I'm so sorry. Magic key sure. situation. Yeah, not a lot of magical going on about the parks these days. I know. It's been hard. Well, we've kind of had to have a little hiatus because of life. Yeah, life um, happens. And, and that's okay. Um, but it is, every time I go to the parks, it's like this weird feeling of like, I'm so happy because I love what Disney means to me. Yeah. But as a current company, I'm not happy. Yeah, no. I mean, and we've, honestly, since we've started this podcast, I think that's been kind of the story throughout. There's been times where it's been better and times when it's been worse. Um, but as of late, there's just been a lot that's been a little tough. And and listen, that's what today's episode's going to be about too. Yeah. Okay. So full disclaimer, uh, if you're listening to this with your children, I might recommend saving this for later. This is definitely going to be our darkest episode. Uh and dealing with very uncomfortable topics. Yeah, we're going to be diving, diving into more of the history uh, around different aspects of this, right? Um, and yeah, it, it is going to touch on some mature topics. Yes. Um, when we did the first episode of Splash Mountain, which, oh my God, just so you know, Will, I saved this to tell you now. Oh boy, I can't wait. You know, I was in Disney World, uh -huh. and then I went to Disneyland Sunday, because of course. Right. I rode Splash Mountain at both parks. Wow, good for you. I know, and I was screaming the whole time. At Disney World, I did it because it was pouring downrange. So I was like, fine, I'm already yeah, soaked. Yeah, you're already going to be wet. You might as well do the water ride. Exactly, even though I was so cranky. Mm -hmm. And the there was a gentleman in front of me who was bald, and he was so funny because he was like, I just don't want it to mess up my hair. Like, oh, he kept, making, he kept dad making dad jokes. jokes. Love it, love it. <laughs> um, and then they, they switched, and... I sat in the second row instead of the first row. Thank God, because they got absolutely drenched. And I was like, oh, it wasn't that bad. <laughs> perfect, perfect. Um, but yeah, so our first episode about this, we kind of did all of just the history of the attraction itself, the log flume ride. Yes. Um, what we didn't get into is how many dark topics surround this attraction. Yes. And there's some that you guys know already, uh, most likely. Yeah. Um, and there's some that, you know, you don't know as much of. And I'm sure it's out there, but it was news to me too. Uh, and there's a lot of just, you know, interesting pieces to it. Uh, and maybe, you know, this isn't exactly Disney at its best, but that's kind of what is interesting about diving into it, you know? Yes, I would say this is not Disney at its best. Um, we're kind of deeming this episode as everything they don't want you to know about Splash Mountain. Exactly. Yeah, you know, I'll add some dun-dun-dun so dun, I can dun, find dun. it or have time to get it together, but yeah. <laughs> um, so, so in order to go back into 
the origin of this story, we have to go back to our Walt days. Um, so Walt Disney, um, back in 1938, was really interested in Joel Chandler Harris's uh, Uncle Remus storybook because he claimed that these stories uh, were something that he really loved as a child. And so he had been pursuing uh, the Harris family for these rights to his books um, for quite some time. Now, if you're not familiar with Joel Chandler Harris, which I was not. I wasn't either. Um, Joel Chandler Harris was born in Eatonton. I have, it's in Georgia, Eatonton, Georgia in 1848. No idea where that is. Sure. I'm from Georgia. I don't know. Well, you know, <laughs> it's, you can't be expected to know everywhere in it's Georgia. It's a big state. Yeah. Um, his parents never married and his father left right after he was born. So uh, that is already in the South in the 1800s, kind of shameful um, as the unmarried also woman. difficult, you know. Yes. Um, and so... A prominent physician named Dr. Andrew Reed gave the Harris family a small cottage behind his large mansion. And Mary Harris, Joel Chandler's mother, worked as a seamstress and would help neighbors with gardening and stuff to support her and her son um, to the best of her ability. But Dr. Reed was a very generous man and he helped pay for Joel's schooling. I wonder what that whole deal was about. Like if there was any foul play happening as well? Sure. I mean, I don't know. It just seems like an overlay. Yeah, sure. You can have the house out back and I'll pay for your schooling. True. I'm just saying, I don't know. Was he just... Why did his dad leave? Maybe there's more to this story. Dun, dun, I don't dun. know. Yeah. Um, who knows? But you know, Joel didn't stay in school very long. So luckily he wasn't <laughs> he paying for too pay much. Too long. <laughs> um, <laughs> because he was an illegitimate child um, and he had red hair and a stutter. He was just prime real estate for being bullied. Sure. Apparently having red hair and being of Irish descent was... Still uh, made fun of today for yeah. it. That's <laughs> so, true, though. Yeah. Um, and so uh, he was heavily bullied, but then luckily he found a survival mechanism uh, to to be the class clown. He was very good at reading, reading and writing, but he wasn't a very good student because he was just like always pulling pranks and making jokes. And mm -hmm. um, so he ended up dropping out of school at 13 to pursue uh, work. And that's not uncommon at that time. I mean, even yeah. like, you know, we heard even I think in like the early 1900s, that kind of stuff happened quite a bit too, where it's like, oh, school is an option. But when you get to a certain age, you drop out and you work and help out your family. Yeah. And so that's what he ended up doing. Um, a year later is when the Civil War broke out. So um during this time, in March of 1862, Joseph Addison Turner, uh, who is the owner of Turnwald Plantation, nine miles east of Eatonton, hired Harris uh, to come and work as a printer's devil for his newspaper, The Countryman. Now, The Countryman, it seems like, was a, a newspaper just for plantations? Uh, you're, you're, that's news to me. Yeah. Um. yeah it, a world, you know, I don't really know much about but he was working there go ahead uh just i looked up what a printer's devil is oh. uh, a printer's devil was an apprentice in a printing establishment who performed a number of tasks such as mixing tubes of ink and fetching type notable writers including ambrose bierce benjamin franklin and walt women and mark twain served as printer's devils in their youth nice there you yeah. go um he apparently um would also let him publish some of his short stories and stuff as well in the countrymen um, and Turner kind of turned into a father figure for Harris. Uh, Ferris, 
found a lot of comfort in him and he educated him a lot on a lot of the classic literature, um, something that Harris was obviously becoming more and more passionate about. Mm-hmm. Um, and so while he was living on Turner's plantation, Harris would often go out to the slave quarters and hang out there with Uncle George Terrell, Old Harbert, and Aunt Chrissy. And he would hear uh, the stories of African folklore that was passed down and modified throughout the generations. And Harris really latched on to these stories and these storytellers because he felt that he could relate to the enslaved humans because he had also had hardships, Um, obviously. uh, They are in no way comparable or relatable. Yeah, I mean, like, listen, okay. Hopefully everyone listening to this understands that slavery was and is terrible. (laughs) it's hard for me to even fathom and consider like just like being even, like oh i can relate well no, not I, even that oh. yes definitely like that that seems wild to me but it's hard for me to fathom like that it like talking about this like oh it was like a plantation uh newspaper it's like well but that that stuff existed it's crazy that people were like we're just living on it and there's other humans and we're like Meh. i don't know you, you i'm were... sorry it's, i know i'm rambling on this one it's just it's just a tough thing to really like consider it is. And when we were talking about it, you know, uh, when I was researching, it's it's a gross subject yeah. to research. Yeah. But um, I also think, you know, I'm just telling you the story. I'm no, telling you sure. where yeah. we came from. Obviously, we are not condoning uh, the, all, all of that. But it's it, it. But this also goes into that, like, you know, as I think you alluded to in the previous episode, like they didn't market uh, this part as the main appeal for Splash Mountain. Oh, no, not at all. <laughs> yeah, they, they marketed it. Uh, actually, the, the appeal of Splash Mountain was because Michael Eisner was like, this this is Breck told me more kids need to come to the parks. So he marketed it as like, this is a fast new thrill ride for teens and young adults. Come check out our fast ride. No mention of the characters or the stories of where this came from. Which is like, it would have been so easy just to leave this in the past. Like, you could have, like, bit, like instead of being like, oh, we're going to theme it up. But but anyways, I'm derailing us. You, I know there's a lot to this story. There just, is. Part we're, of it's hard for me to listen to and not say something. I know. We're not even to actual uh, the Uncle Remus stories yet. We are right. still we are still just kind of him going through life, uh, the author. Um, so in 1876, Harris was hired by the Atlanta Constitution, which I'm... Sure, it's just like I grew up with the AJC, the Atlanta Journal Constitution. Sure That's our newspaper. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure it's the same thing. Yeah. Um, where he would remain for the next 24 years. And while he worked at the newspaper, um, one, he was considered very progressive. He uh, would speak against slavery and stuff. So that was, you know, a lot of people like didn't like that. But then he would write these short stories as well in the newspaper and then ended up creating them into books. Um, and all of the stories... He kind of combined all the stories he'd heard from the different people he'd spent time with, and um, it all became into one character, Uncle Remus. And uh, they all included a African hare named Br'er Rabbit, and uh, a lot of animal characters that were used to tell these stories. His books about Uncle Remus gained national attention. He died in 1908, and while he was considered a great American writer... Uh, to many others, he was considered extremely controversial and racist. He was known for using phrasing and wording um, that would be considered very offensive. And I, yeah, uh, I haven't read the stuff. I haven't seen Song of the South. Um, but I think, you know, uh, it, just so I can speak for a second, there's a recently there's a new, new D&D book that came out. Oh, wow. We found that. a way to 
get D&D into Always. this episode. You, you have to. Um, and it's called uh, Journeys Through the Radiant Citadel. And the reason I bring that up is it was one of the first, I think probably the only books, well, not since it's one of the first and it's new, it would be the only book <laughs> uh, from Wizards of the Coast that uh, features all POC authors. Um, and so it is people that are telling their own stories. And I think that's kind of what the, what the the one of the key things to note here is like, this is someone else being like, I have all these great stories to share with you right, of, exactly. of African folk folklore. It's like, no, like let, let people share their own experiences and their own stories. And it's, you're going to be so much more rich for that. And that's kind of what I think the, what is cool about Journeys to the Radiant Citadel is like, oh, we're getting to see all this different stuff, these different stories we haven't heard before, and they're coming from the people that have lived them and have that experience. Right. Uh, they're, anyways. They're okay. not coming from uh, this man who was able to go on and have success because he was not enslaved. Right, and then be like, hmm, these are my stories. Yeah, I 100% agree with you. And something that I, another moment that comes a little later is that Walt uh, he knew that this was going to happen. He knew there was going to be controversy around Song of the South. And his one of his defenses was like, well, I had to tone down the accent, you know, from what it would historically be. And you're like... Great job, bud. Yeah, like, okay, <laughs> You did well. it. Um, and speaking of Walt, um, so he pursued the family for these film rights for quite some time and finally ended up purchasing them in 1939. Uh, Walt paid the Harris family $10,000, which is equivalent to $184,000 in 2020. And by 1986, the film based on the stories of Song of the South had earned $300 million. Yeah, that's a lot of money. Yeah, I feel like the Harris family... They probably deserved a little more money. Probably. As um, did the people that uh, inspired those stories. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Moral of the story. <laughs> to, be, to be specific there. Um, and so for those who might not be aware of what Song of the South is, I, like Will, have never seen this film. Um, but Song of the South is a 1946 American live action slash animated musical drama film. Uh, the film takes place in the southern United States during the Reconstruction era a period of American history after the Civil War, um, after the abolishment of slavery. Um, and so the story follows a seven-year-old boy, Johnny, who is visiting his grandmother's plantation for an extended stay. Johnny befriends Uncle Remus, one of the workers on the plantation, and takes joy in hearing the tales of the adventures of Br'er Rabbit, Br'er Fox, and Br'er Bear. Johnny learns from the stories how to cope with the challenges he is experiencing while living on the plantation. So that is the story. One of the things that people do praise, no matter what, is how beautiful the hand-drawn animation is. Mm -hmm. um, and sometimes, you know, the, the live-action people are interacting with the animation and living in a more animated, physical world. And this was the second time in history that a film had done that. The first being The Three Caballeros. Nice. Yeah. Uh, and also, I think people also note that uh, Zippity-Doo-Dah came from this movie. Yes, that's it won an Oscar. Um, that was, you know, kind of the big... The big song. Yeah. Um, very, it's a great song. Um, very catchy. It is a very catchy song. Um, so the film premiered in Atlanta, Georgia at the Fox Theater, if anyone knows where that is, um, November 12th, 1946, and welcomed the um, entire Disney company, an entire cast, kind of, almost, not really, um, due to racial segregation in Georgia, James Baskett, the actor who plays Uncle Remus, was not allowed to attend the premiere. Um, yeah, it's messed up. Yup. He was later um, given a special Academy Award. This is written in quotes. 
for his able and heartwarming characterization of Uncle Remus, friend, and storyteller to the children of the world in the Walt Disney's Song of the South. So he was given uh, an Oscar later. Um, I think, sadly, he died um, from diabetes complications Mm. within the year that he received that award. that's sad. Yeah. Now, I'm not sure if this was for publicity, but supposedly some of the um, supposedly the uh, the black actors from the film uh, didn't find it to be offensive. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that was somebody telling them to say that. You know, some people might have, um, but that was something that came up as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, with James Baskett not being able to go to the premiere, this made national news, and critics and progressives called him out. Um, you know, we're calling out the film mm-hmm. for those reasons and for the very offensive storytelling and dialects. Sure, sure. Um, but critics also said this film was just boring. Um, they thought that the live action sequences were really too long and the only fun parts were the animated storytelling um, of Br'er Bear and Br'er Fox and Br'er Rabbit. You got it. All yeah, I got all of them. All, th- <laughs> all three. Um, I, I uh, Sidebar, I saw a funny YouTube video today um that was captain america wakes up from his coma it was like a, a sketch and it was like oh man captain america would probably be racist because <laughs> he, oh, like, no. he went into his coma in like the 30s or something and then it was like he came up and it was like ah it was crazy like, but but that's all to say like i do it is sometimes you know i uh, shocking to be like oh that was in the 40s the 40s yeah yeah that was like not that long ago yeah, people are still alive from yeah. then. Yeah. Anyways. And it, yeah. So, um, even though there were um, some harsh criticisms, the Atlanta audiences loved it, especially families. And um, as the city would move around, or as the city, as the film would move mm-hmm. around different cities, it was met with some controversy, but overall a very loved film. Hmm. The biggest cities that had issues uh, were Los Angeles and New York. And after it left theaters, it was re-released in theaters for the 10-year anniversary in 1956, and then again for the 50th anniversary in 1972, both times bringing in large audiences. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And while people seemed to enjoy the film, there wasn't really any representation of the characters or the movie in Disney theme parks. But there was a theme park that did take Harris's work and make an attraction. So this is like the second thing that i was like oh wow this is like a part of uh the disney parks that i didn't know like this feels like another piece of like what what you know we already saw like the the history of the ip that's associated with splash mountain is not something that disney really wants you to know about too much at least because they don't even have song of the south on disney plus no they or in the what is it called the they never made DVDs of it. They didn't make... They, it's no longer something that you can easily find. No. And it's not something they're promoting. Now, this next part, I thought was very interesting, too. Yes. Um, so, the first people to uh, take Harris's work was actually from my state, Georgia, from Six Flags over Georgia. Six Flags. It was a Six Flags ride. It was a sort Six of. Flags ride. So, um, Six Flags over Georgia was the second Six Flags. It opened in 19... 19- uh, it opened in 1967 after uh, Six Flags Over Texas, which was 1961, which I was like, huh, I wonder if everyone was like, Disneyland, 
they're having success. Everyone make a theme park. Of course. I'm um, sure that's, that was a big part of it. I'm sure. Um, and so Six Flags Over Georgia was themed after the six nations that had ruled over Georgia. I'm going to use uh, the word nations in quotes. Um, I, I think I saw specifically, and this kind of makes sense, the flags that flew over it. Yes. In some way or another. Um, because it's Six Flags. It is Six Flags. So we have uh, Spain, France, the United Kingdom, the United States, the state of Georgia, and the Confederate States of America. Um, Which is also true and also wild to me that like Six Flags is something that like I have just like always been like, oh, Six Flags. And now I'm like, oh, there's some history to that too. I literally had wow. no idea. I When I read this, I Googled. I was like, that can't be true. And I, then I found it. And I was like, wow, that's true. I was shocked. Yeah. I had no yeah. idea. Um, and then I'm wondering like, why aren't some of them called like Eight Flags? Over California, whatever, you know. It's a good question. It's a good question. I don't know. Um, Yeah. So that is where the Six Flags of Georgia comes from. Um, Each nation has a a designated section of the park with different theme rides. Um, And in the Confederate part of the park, this is now known as Peachtree Square. Um, Georgia's correcting some of, you know, that too. Um, Was an attraction called Tales of the Okefenokee. Which I believe... Okefenokee, is that from Song of the South? Well, the Okefenokee, I've been there. Um, the Okefenokee Swamp is in like the deeper part of the South. Oh, wow. And it's like black. Okay. You take a field trip in eighth grade. Of course. Yeah. And so you have to go to the Okefenokee. Because I feel like I, I knew I had heard of that, but I, I didn't know where that reference was coming from. So. Um, it is featured in the stories that were the Uncle Remus short stories. And, um, but I, I, to add another horrific fact to this, um, when we went in eighth grade, we were riding in a boat and like they hang a chicken over the boat and an alligator comes up and eats it. Wow. That's, that's, that's not, uh, the darkest thing. It is not the darkest thing. Today, but that is still pretty wild. It's just, I mean, you also, we also had to go to, uh, I guess usually they do go to Six Flags, but like we didn't. Instead, we went to like, I don't know, a theme park that wasn't open. And so we just like walked around an arcade. I don't even, it was weird. Um, Anyway, um, so this, this attraction was a slow moving boat dark ride based on Uncle Remus and the animals of the Okefenokee Swamp. Um, Now this is a, this is Six Flags. Okay, this is not Disney. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So whatever type of animatronics you're picturing in your head of like what a Six Flags animatronic would look like, you are correct. I don't think I've ever even seen a Six Flags animatronic. Yeah, you're um, like just roller coasters. Right. You're just going to be big, yeah. steel, fast. Yeah. Michael Eisner, take that. Um, <laughs> yeah, they very cartoony. Um, the... They look, in my opinion, like the cartoon, like the animatronics were drawn by children, then turned in, and then like, create this. Like, that's in my head yeah. what these look like. Yeah, yeah, um, And so the attraction featured a bear, a fox, and a rabbit, but no Uncle Remus. And it's suspected that Six Flags, like, just went ahead and made this ride, even though they didn't have the rights from the family. Yeah, yeah. And, and they're like, Ever, uh, it, it could be any bear. Yeah. Initially, the idea was like, you start the ride outside in a cabin and then it would take you into this like ginormous mansion. Um, but Six Flags. So instead it was just a plain building. 
that you would enter. Mm-hmm. Um, the 1967 opening version was described more as like primitive version of the ride. It was designed by Gene Patrick, who had designed uh, Spelunker's Cave. Oh, Spelunker's Cave. Oh yes. my God, I just got that. <laughs> Oof. Spelunker's Cave, Dark uh-huh. Ride, and Six Flags Over Texas. In the first season, halfway through the first season, they were like, this attraction is so bad, they went ahead and shut it down. A real classic superstar limo. Oh, yes. Um, we, we even get some Disney stories at Six Flags. So um, they went ahead and after the first season, they shut down the ride and decided to redo it. The The previous, like, they weren't even animatronics. They were kind of just like barely moving tiny robots. Like it was, but in characters. But, you know, like really... Like, this one would just move his hand left. Like, I kind of think of a bad Mr. Toad. Sure. Is is kind of where my brain goes. There's not a lot of information about it. That's interesting. And it also, like, I mean, it goes to speak to the earlier point of, like, people trying to compete with Disney and not having their own lane. So they're like, we're just going to do this and see see if it works. And, yep. uh, you know, not quite. It didn't go great. Um, and so it seemed that, you know what, the quality of this ride, bad. We're going to call in some really famous puppeteers, Sid and Marty Croft. Um, And that happened between 1967 and 1968. Um, Sid and Marty Croft. We've talked about... No, I guess we haven't. I names to me. So they're really famous. Um, They've worked in the entertainment industry for over 60 years. They're still alive. Um, They've worked for Disney, Ringling Brothers, uh, Hanna-Barbera, Six Flags. um, And they were known for HR Puffin Stuff. Oh, yeah. I've heard of that. Yeah. Um, and Land of the Lost. All of these, like, big weird TV shows that apparently everyone, like, thought they were always on, like, LSD or something. And that's yeah, how they yeah. created these weird characters. But they're like, no, we're just weird. Yeah. I mean... I, I felt I'm, seen there. <laughs> well, that's fair. That's fair. I was going to say, there's a good chance it could have been a little bit of both. But... Uh, you, you never know. know. Like... I some... mean, puff and stuff. Weird. It just sounds like a... Like, you're, you're on drugs kind of name. Yeah, the, the creatures are all really wild looking. Yeah. So Six Flags was the first time that they got into the uh, amusement park world. Sure. And then they had such a good time. They opened their own amusement park in Atlanta, like, 10 years later. What? What was it called? It was called The World of Sid and Marty Croft. Original. Original. OG. Um and yeah, I guess that it, so it's the Omni International building that contains the amusement park. That's where my mom, I think, had her like first job in Atlanta. <laughs> um, and then it's now renamed the CNN Center and is uh, now the CNN headquarters. So they so. were brought in to help with this attraction? Yes. Yeah. And much better. Still wacky, wild, over the top characters that don't feel quite Disney quality, but it was much, much, much closer. Um, and these were really bright and colorful. Like you have a pink bunny and um, in the beginning you have these owls that were, I don't know how to describe them uh, with my words. Um, they're kind of fun looking, you know, they're playful. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how to describe them. They're fun. <laughs> the, the end. Um, you did a great job. I don't know you. why you were doubting yourself. Yeah, so, so great. Um and you would just float very leisurely down this river and pass some owls and singing crows. Welcome, neighbor, welcome to the O'Keefe Welcome, neighbor, welcome. You surely made our day. Yeah, little ditty there. 
Um, after the singing crows, you would see a bear, a fox, and a rabbit fishing and lots of other animals surrounding them. Um, almost weirdly close like scenery in a way to what we know of. Yeah, it doesn't sound like it's that far off of, like granted, I've only been on Splash Mountain a couple of times, but it doesn't feel like it's that far off of sort of what the like, yeah, you're on a farm, here's animals. And they're yep. like, hey, we're fishing and stuff. We're just hanging out. But then really the whole time, Mr. Fox and Mr. Bear are trying to capture Mr. Rabbit. And they have, um, you know, they're trying different things. They get him in a bag and the crows help him escape. And then they sing another song. And throughout the whole thing, there's kind of like little warnings little warning songs mm-hmm. going on um now the crows warn you before you enter this black lit room mr fox and mr bear are hiding in this black lit room that is just full of explosives and this is where they reveal their next plan and their plan is not just to take out not the just- rabbit their their plan is to murder everyone <laughs> <laughs> i mean Listen, at least it's equality, you know? Uh, everyone's going to get murdered in this situation. There you go. Yeah. So they're, like, trying to take everybody out. Um, and then you, like, ent- exit the cave. And then you are you kind of go up this, like, little baby hill, mm-hmm, kind mm-hmm. of. Again, okay. this is really slow moving. Sure. And they are sitting there, and you see them with, like, these creepy red lights. And they go, beware. Beware. And it's like the most evil sound you've ever heard. Honestly, it sounds, uh, once again, not that unlike uh, Splash Mountain. Yup. Um, and then um, you go through a part where there's like these really trippy carrots singing songs at you. Like, they're like carrots with big sexy lips. What? They're like lady carrots, I guess. Oh. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> um, uh, well, who was it again? Sid and... and- Marty, Sid and Marty, what are you guys doing? Oh my gosh. Oh, I, I, I watched a video, I wish I didn't, about um, Disney animation in the beginning years and just kind of like the boys club that it was. And uh, At a certain point, this podcast is going to turn into like Disney problematic I, you nature. Have to, not, not this episode. <laughs> just, like, we, we've tried to like avoid it to some extent. But there is, there's interesting stuff in there. And, yeah, you know, sure. but it was like when Uncle Walt was like, Walt was really against this stuff. So it'd have to be like after he left, like he's through a party. And then after he left, it turned into just like this crazy inappropriate thing I cannot speak about on here. All right. Anyway, back to our singing sexy carrots. <laughs> Um, Words I never thought I would hear. (laughs) Um, Then there's like a Christmas scene where like rabbits hanging out with this family. Um, And then at the end of the ride, uh, the rabbit um, have now attacked Mr. Fox and Mr. Bear with some bees. While the rest of the animals are all gathered together for a really happy carnival and singing the Okie Finokie National Anthem or something. And I was like, why does it have a national anthem? It's a swamp. But, you know party time now this ride people actually really liked it um this new version it's interesting i well i mean it sounds better than the last version for one for two um feels like it's within the time of an era you know there's some trippy stuff going on during that time of our that period of history oh Uh, yeah i didn't think about that. and also just like kind of interesting you know i i don't think of dark rides when i think of six flags um, no, not so, at all. So, like, it is that this is news to me also. So, like, it doesn't shock me that people kind of took a liking to this. Yeah, my dad would have been working there then, oh. driving the train. We should see if he ever went on it. I Well, I know he did. Um, 
but this so this attraction did well right um families liked it because it was slower um and then teenagers liked it because it was dark (laughs) oh sure so that gave them some time to learn about Br'er Rabbit. Um, oh, boy. <laughs> yeah. Um, it was known for this. Yeah. And um, so the ride only was open for 13 seasons. And I like that it's funny that we say seasons on this because unlike a Disney park, it's seasonal. The sure. parks do not stay open. I actually didn't know that. Uh, 24-7. So yeah, it was open for 13 seasons. And throughout that time, the characters and the sets deteriorated. And this is where I think the difference with Disney and other theme parks might come in because it just was not maintained well at all. Yeah. Um, and the the humidity, because it's Georgia, would get into the buildings and it just started like ruining all of the sets and the fur. Mm. And what's weird is that, a little bit of a spoiler alert, they get rid of this ride and there's going to be a new one that I went on as a kid. Mm-hmm. And um, I remember it like being gross and like, not being a comforting dark ride. Like, you know how when you go to Disney, it's like, oh, now there's air conditioning? Yeah. I don't remember Listen, that. I the South is bad for humidity. I mean, I guess they, they find a way to make it work in uh, Disney World, but yeah, uh, it doesn't shock me. Yeah, I actually would be so... I would be so curious to see Disney World's AC bill. Because <laughs> <laughs> it... I mean, you'd go in there, it's just like blasting yeah. cold air. Um, so... Um, for uh, the reasons, yeah, you have the humidity taking apart the rides. Apparently also like kids would jump off and steal set pieces a lot. Um, so that wasn't going well either. Rowdy teens. Um, another thing that I thought was funny is that the audio department of the entire park was located behind one of the scenes and it was this Christmas scene. And apparently they sang like this little Christmas ditty. And the engineers hated it so much that they just turned the sound off in that room. So once you got to that part of the ride, it, it was, was just, just silent. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Um, yeah, they they did not like it. So then the last thing that kind of led to um, this attraction's demise <laughs> is that um, our singing sisters, our carrots, our carrot sisters, um, they were modeled out of polyurethane foam. Okay. And apparently, uh, one of the carrots, the interior mechanism in it, uh, got so hot um, that it heated up one of the coils and it caught on fire. Oh, wow. And then it spread very quickly to all the other, you know, polyurethane. Well, of course. They're sisters. Yes. And then the background behind them caught on fire and then even spread to some of the other scenes nearby um, with Mr. Fox and Mr. Rabbit hold, or Mr. Fox and Mr. Bear holding Mr. Rabbit in the bag. And though it was extinguished before it was, like, all, I guess, destroyed, you know, it was pretty bad damage. They did have a quick fix. And instead of our sexy carrots, there were apparently some singing watermelons at the end of the attraction. So they just took the singing watermelons and moved them to sexy carrot land. You know, I just keep coming back to, like, look. Maybe people liked that movie more than I expected, but we don't have to put all this work into an IP that nobody cares about. What are we doing? I don't what even, are we doing? This isn't even with, for it's the IP. It's not even officially the IP, but still. Yeah, this is so odd. So then um, the end, the ride, uh, that was it. That was it for the ride. The fire kind of put the nail in the coffin there. There you go. Now, what's interesting is if you hear the storyline, 
it is so similar mm -hmm. to our Splash Mountain. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, Tony Baxter definitely went there for some inspiration. Yeah. Um, and he's like, hey, guys, I got this idea that no one will know about. Um, <laughs> he probably is the one that set the fire, you know? Yeah. <laughs> that is possible. There is... It's not like confirmed, but that Disney would send had sent Imagineers down there to ride the ride. Great, um, I, that's just smart. I mean, I've been in, I've been in companies before where we've set in on demos of competitor software. That's really? Just what you, yeah. It's just oh, what you okay. Do, you know. Um, well, in 1980, when this attraction was completely closed, they gutted it, and it's described as like. They took all of the scenery and the animatronics. They gave some of the scenery to like some nearby like theaters, but pretty much everything wasn't even worth saving. They just threw it in the garbage. Mm. No re-theming, nothing. Just get rid of it. And then they saved most of the track, but apparently like somebody made a mistake in that too. So they had to like ruin most of that. Like the care that went into this uh, was zero. Well, that's Six Flags for you, right? <laughs> it's a little Six Flags uh, history. Um, and so then they turned it into an attraction completely rethemed called Monsters Plantation. Um, and then as of 2009, it, the name was changed to Monsters Mansion, where I think they did update the animatronics and like give it a little bit of love. Did you go on that one? So I grew up with the Monsters Plantation. Um, I am glad they changed the name. Mm -hmm. uh, I hated that attraction more than anything. I just thought it was like the worst, creepiest I remember it smelling weird. Yeah, it probably smelled like roasted carrots. Yeah. <laughs> they literally roasted. Yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> that was my joke. Oh, gosh. Um, so that's the second big thing, right? So we have, like, another thing that Disney doesn't want you to know about, that they basically stole the ride. They stole a... They, the, the IP came from places that you should not take inspiration from. And then they stole the concept from Six Flags, who was doing it already. Yes. Um, what else do we wild. got? So this this last story is a little graphic and very sad. Um, this, is, this is the like the darkest. This is definitely, well. Well, that's fair. We don't need to qualify it as that. This is pretty dark. This is pretty dark. Um, so I, you know, the actors in the films um, are some people that are really of name. James Baskett, who, I, who played Uncle Remus. Another star of the film was Hattie McDaniel, who was the first African-American to win an Oscar and uh, for, for her role in Gone with the Wind. Oh, cool. Cool. Yeah. So you have some big people. You also have uh, somebody by the name of Bobby Driscoll. So Bobby Driscoll plays Johnny, the young boy, mm -hmm. and apparently got into acting um, because he was getting his hair cut and the hair cutter was like, hey, you should be in films back in the day when like, that happened, yeah. I guess. Um, <laughs> it was so, easier back then. Ugh. So yes, uh, from a young age, she started acting. He was in live films like Song of the South, obviously. Um, a, a movie called So Dear to My Heart and Treasure Island as Jim Hawkins uh, and Melody Time as himself. Mm. He also voiced Goofy Jr., Goofy's son, in two animated shorts and is most though known for being the voice and close-up model for Peter Pan. Oh, nice. That's cool. Yeah, so Peter yeah, Pan yeah. is the the picture that you see is based on this guy. Um, and so he was actually a personal favorite of Walt Disney. Walt Disney loved working with him. He was very well paid. Um, but by the time that he hit puberty in 1953, we know apparently exactly when he hit puberty, um, he was dropped by the studio. That's tough. 
and never achieved that success again. Uh, I mean, even early on, I feel like being a child actor was probably pretty tough. Oh, I'm sure. Um, And so obviously this led to a lot of issues. Um, So by the 60s, his career had been reduced to like little bit parts in films or guest spots on TV. Um, He'd been arrested with drug charges and sentenced to rehab. After his parole, he tried to establish himself as this avant-garde artist in New York City um, and was a member of Andy Warhol's artist group called The Factory. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. His last known role that he did uh, was in Warhol's produced Dirt. Mm. I didn't, I've never, I've never seen that. Me neither. I didn't even know that Andy Warhol had like a group of artists, but now I do. Yeah, there you go. Um, I learned a lot during this episode. Um, So he left the factory sometime between like 1967 or early 1968 um, because I think his addiction to drugs was pretty severe. Yeah. That's tough. That's a tough time for that, too. Yeah. Um, He was very povertyish, apparently. Like, he apparently had spent all of his money and was really not doing well in life. And on March 30th, 1968, there were two boys playing in a deserted East Village, uh, East Village tenement at 30. We have the address for you. uh, 371 East 10th Street, where they found this body lying on a cot with two empty beer bottles and religious pamphlets scattered all over the ground. The body um, had been there for a while. And so they, you know, called the police and they examined um, the body, had decided that this person had passed away from heart failure caused by drug abuse. And um, there was no identification of this body. So the photos, you know, they showed it around town. and It's really sad. Um, nobody identified him. So his unclaimed body was buried in an unmarked pauper's grave in New York City's Potter's Field on Hart Island. It's really sad. It, it gets a little sadder. Um, so apparently in late 1969, it was about a year and a half after he had passed, um, Driscoll's mom was seeking help of Disney to find her son because she had not been able to communicate or find him for, and I don't think spoke to his, to him a couple of years before he had passed. Um, and had really hoped to bring a reunion amongst him and his father who was passing away. This resulted in a fingerprint match at New York city's police department, which located his burial in Hart Island. Um, and although his name now appears with his dad's gravestone um, here in Oceanside, California, his remains are still on Hart Island. So um, his mom didn't even know that he had passed. That's that's really sad. And uh, one of the things that gets me the most, I you know, uh, families not being uh, together is tough. Yeah, um, that's really that's really that's really dark. And I'm I'm sorry to hear that. That's I'm, tough. From from all aspects of thinking about the source material of Splash Mountain, there's so much darkness. Yeah. Um, and so in reading about it, I mean, my the more I was like getting into it, I was like, okay, this is a lot, you know. Um, but it's it's part of it. I mean, history is history, right? And yep. I think it's you know important for us to not just completely gloss over it all. It's important to know where some of that stuff comes from. And, uh, you know, hopefully the, the re-theming will happen sooner rather than later. Uh, and once again, I will say, not to make light of it, Michael Eisner could have, if people would just have listened to him and made this a splash 
themed with mermaids with mermaids uh, attraction uh you know we uh, this would be a whole different episode i am going to double check we mentioned it on our last on our uh, splash mountain part one that they said that they had taken down that they were going to be redoing it on their website so i'm going to check again a new refresh is coming to this attraction read more okay let's see huh okay okay interesting so I don't know if they had taken something down for a little bit um, or they've moved it to just like it. There's a little tab that just says something exciting is coming. Click more. And then but it's still there. OK. I mean, when I talked to some of my other Disney friends about about that, their theories were just that like they didn't want to have to commit to a date. And so therefore they were kind of taking down the information and putting it back up with a general concept. Right. So I'm glad to hear that that still is probably in the works. Thank goodness. I love. I would. I would be jamming so hard. I would. I'm willing to do that ride if I just For to sure. have like that theme. For sure. Um. So yeah. Uh. I hope that Disney, amongst all the other controversies going on right now, um, corrects mistakes and you can't change the past, but you can grow and learn and yeah. Um, and educate. So I'm hoping Disney continues. Hopefully to do something good, maybe. You know, we're, we're crossing our fingers here. Yeah. Uh, we'll see. Uh, you know, and if they don't, here's the thing. I'm, uh, we'll, we'll call them out as much as we can. Yes. Um, well. I, I, I don't feel like, like we, we did some of the, the traditional questions and stuff after uh, our last episode. I don't know if it makes the most sense to be like, what would you change? Oh, everything about what we just said? That makes <laughs> sense. Um, and would you go on the... Uh, Six Flags ride. Actually, I probably would go on the Six Flags ride. That sounds interesting. I'm. I want to just go on it to see if it has air conditioning now. <laughs> but I remember from my childhood thinking it was just like hot and gross and it smelled yeah. bad, and all of the animatronics were like, like their eyes would flicker funky. And some of the monsters are supposed to be scary, and some of them yeah. were supposed to be funny. And I just thought all of it was like, oh, I don't know. Yeah, interesting. Hmm. Well, uh, I do. I am glad we went through this, though. That there's a lot of stuff in here that I didn't know about, and that I that I can find very interesting. And you know, listen, I've never been a big roller coaster guy in the first place. Uh, this gives me one more reason not to go to Six Flags. Uh, <laughs> so I'm happy for an easy win on that one. Well, the Six Flags here does not have it. Uh, well, I mean specifically the whole fact that it's called Six Flags. Oh yeah. Like, can we change it to Five Flags or something? I don't know. Anyways. Yeah. I'm a little on my soapbox today, so I apologize, but I feel like it's important. Yeah, no. Um, well, thank you for listening, everyone. Yeah. We we um, have a fun interview coming up as well. And uh, thank you for walking through some of the darker themed and not quite as magical yeah. episode. Uh, we keep it positive here, but sometimes you got to... Got to talk about the other stuff. You have to. You have to. Otherwise, the positive stuff doesn't make any sense. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm glad we went through that. Thanks for uh, thanks for taking us on that journey, Kelly. Ooh, I know. Um, well, what else should... What should we end on? Okay, so to wrap things up, um, traditionally, I would do a Disney on Yelp. Uh, but since this wasn't... We've already done a Disney on Yelp for Splash Mountain, which was actually a Disney on Yelp for Space Mountain because people got confused on the Yelp page. Oh, yeah. Um, so, but I do think it'd be fun to do Monster Mansion. Okay, let's do some Monster Mansion. So there are four, four total reviews for Monster Mansion wow. on, on Yelp. Um, three of them are very long. Uh, one is one star. One is 
five stars and the other is four stars. Um, too long to read to make for an interesting audio segment. So instead, I'm going to read the one that is a little bit shorter. Um, it is five stars. It's from Chad S. Um, Chad S. has 260 Yelp friends. Wow, he's popular. He's eight reviews. Oh. <laughs> and nine pictures, uh, three of which are on Monster Mansion. Um, here's his review. Love this ride, six exclamation points. 100% my favorite ride ever, six exclamation points. <laughs> Wrote it like 10 times, three exclamation points. I loved it, and my kid did too, five exclamation points. So go on the monsters at the mansion, period. Only at Six Flags Over Georgia, four exclamation points. Wow, he's excited. Chad S. And, loves this ride. Wow, Chad S. and I have very different uh, <laughs> memories of this attraction. I do, like I said. One they, person found it useful. I Look, like I said, my memory of it is quite a long time ago. Um, but maybe they, when they redid it in 2009, they made it cool. Uh, not according to Caroline P., uh, who says, Overall, I believe that this ride could be improved with some updates, such as refreshing and refurbishing animatronics, adding a bit more lighting throughout the ride, and making it less scary for young riders. Uh, one star. One star. There we go. I relate to that one a little bit more. Well, uh... Thank you guys for listening, going on this journey with us. Um, and if you uh, have any thoughts, please share them. You can um, find all of our socials and everything on our website, sliceofdisney.com. But you can reach out to us on social media at Slice of Disney on Facebook and Instagram. You can email us at sliceofdisneypod at gmail.com. Um, and you can find us on Twitter at slice underscore of underscore Disney. And of course, we also have our Patreon. Um, we do fun things, extra episodes, and um, do movie nights, which are very fun. Yeah. Uh, so come along for that as well. Um, happy things. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, everybody, for listening. And, you know, if there's other uh, dark sides of attractions, honestly, let us know. Because, I mean, I didn't, I didn't know most of this stuff when we started to dig into Splash Mountain. So I'm sure there's more stuff out there and, and you know, it's interesting to read about. So Yes, if you have any more, uh, please share it. And I hope you guys have a wonderful week. Yeah. Okay, bye.